FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 254 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. <laughs> I'm your host Jason, and of course we're joined by Georgie, and unfortunately our compatriot Dan is a little under the weather, so he will not be joining us this episode, but we will have him back next time around. Hey, you got me and Georgie, so... That's right. Count your blessings, or... <laughs> or Chris. Yeah, Chris right. <laughs> However you want to think about it. <laughs> but hey, before we get into our resurrection books, um, you want to just mention very briefly, I don't know what time today. I know I started seeing on Twitter, oh, probably about an hour ago. I started really seeing the tweets come across. Um, but, you know, unfortunately... Um, Lynn Ween or, or Lynn Wine, however you want to say it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Ween, right? That, that's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, he passed away today. And, of course, he is a co-creator of Wolverine. Um, also, didn't realize uh, co-creator of Swamp Thing, which I saw a lot of Swamp Thing love on Twitter tonight. Um, so that, that was interesting. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. But, um, but obviously, it's a podcast that goes snicked. Um, Especially kind of sad by the guy that helped uh, create the character we're celebrating. Um, you know, in any any creator, you know, you'd be sad to see go. But it was kind of a special uh, double snick salute to Mr. Ween there um, for his creation and the character that we are, you know, here to talk about. So not not just Wolverine, but he also uh, set up or rather was uh, responsible for a large portion of giant size X Men. Yeah, and also uh, X Men ninety four ninety five, which uh, is when Chris Claremont started to take over. So he really helped us set up oh, yeah, the whole de- modern X Men. Yes, definitely. Um, in fact, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember what hand he had in Nightcrawler's creation, but I mean, obviously. yeah, yeah, co creator of Nightcrawler as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's my second favorite X Men. So, and then Dan was here; he would chime in. That's his favorite. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, yeah, so definitely, I guess I guess all those guys, and you said, so from the giant size team. So Storm, yeah. who's probably my number three. So, I mean, you got my top three X-Men, so it's a, it's, you know, sad passing. I mean, every, it is. Any death is sad, but, you know, we're, we're here talking about the X-Men, and I think that's particularly impactful just because of the huge kind of legacy, his little stamp he put on there. Um, it's pretty, pretty great. So, For sure. Great well, he creator. Did, he did a couple of runs on some other big stuff like Spider Man and Thor, and he's got right. some other DC stuff he's really yeah. well known for as well. But yeah, and of course this big Hulk run that I mean that oh, introduced yeah. Wolverine in the first place. Um, you know him and Herb Herb Trimp or Herb Trimpy, uh, you know had a pretty substantial little little thing they had going on the Incredible Hulk. So he definitely was a well loved creator. You know one of the things. I think the social media gives you is it was it was great to see other creators you know have have you know on hand you know probably from their phones and their iPads or wherever um, you know recent pictures of them with when you know in different cons or 
you know, at, at the Marvel buildings or whatever. It was just, it was really cool to see kind of everyone's, you know, you know, support obviously for, for whoever he left behind and, you know, hopefully that will all go well, but yeah. Brian, uh, Brian Michael Bendis has been tweeting a lot about it and he retweeted something from Hugh Jackman. Uh, yeah. Who, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty great. Um, I remember it was a couple of years ago. I don't know. My time gets all, all fudgy, but um, I do remember though, not that long ago when Hugh Jackman actually tweeted some of that originally when he met Lynn and you know how just how grateful he was you know was obviously in, in any effort not to be typecast Jackman's very grateful for the legacy of Wolverine that he's been able to play on screen and so to meet the guy that created kind of your role of a lifetime it's got to be pretty awesome so um, yeah it's pretty sweet all right. But, well, one, yeah. sort of jumping from one sad news to some other sad news, we have to read some Marvel <laughs> theme books here. You know, Georgie, um, this weekend I was I was reading stuff, getting ready to record, kind of making a few quick notes. Though I'm not going to lie, my notes for these episodes are usually pretty brief. Not <laughs> not, not quite as extensive as when I take notes for flashback stuff, but um. Yeah, I, I almost tweeted you guys, but I didn't wanna I didn't wanna blow it too much. But um I almost tweeted you and Dan like, you know, maybe I'm the wrong guy to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because I see like there's particularly three of the books we're gonna talk about, the three like main X Men team books. Uh-huh. There's a lot of love out there for yeah. these for these books. And you know, to varying degrees, I think we'll talk about what we did or didn't enjoy, but, you know, sometimes I just think, you know what, maybe I should just let all those people talk about it and <laughs> not worry about it. But, you know, I got to put my two cents in and, and get you guys' opinion. Um, you know, we'll, we'll carry on for as long as we can carry on. Um, but, yeah, no, it was not the most fun couple of weeks. And, in fact, I do want to come back, especially when we get to gold, um, you had tweeted something, and there's a particular phrase I wanted to really have you elaborate on. But uh, sure, we'll get there when we get there. Um, Hopefully, I can remember what I was well, thinking. I, yeah, well, I remember what you said. I don't know what you were thinking, so um, <laughs> we will see. But uh, right. yeah, so man, I don't know. It's just some of these books felt a lot like homework, and I I hate. For the podcast to kind of go that direction, and I'm you know I'm glad there's stuff to talk about that we enjoyed, but um, we'll see how much of it is on this episode. So let's start with a book that's been kind of up and down for us. Um, a book that started great and then kind of got kind of crappy and then got good again, and uh, let's, we'll kind of see where this lands. Uh, X Men Blue number ten came out. It sure did. <laughs> All right, so uh, X Men Blue, um, what issue number is this? Number ten. Number ten. Uh, writer Colin Bunn, penciler Giovanni Valletta, inker Scott Hanna, colorist Guru FX. Uh, is this the first time we've seen this guy? Uh, this team? I feel like he may have been on. I'm trying to remember if he did some of the stuff, some of the colors on part of the Wolverines. Uh, okay. series, but it's the first time we've talked about him, for sure. Alrighty. 
Letterer is VC's Joe Caramagna, and cover artists are Arthur Adams and Jason Keith. So, Jason, um, this this cover, we've got Beast performing some magic, and it almost looks like he's flinging out magic cards. Uh, <laughs> magic at, the at Gathering, the reader, right? <laughs> with, with sort of like an evil minotaur behind him. What do you, uh, what's your take on this cover? Yeah, you know, I've, for the most part, you know, we've had a couple of things we've talked about where they've been a little too sexy. But for the most part, I've been enjoying the Arthur Adams covers on this series. Um, I did not care too much for this one. Um, there were a couple of elements I thought were cool. I like, uh, there's a really cool kind of wicked design on the spine of this book he's reading, like this magic spell book, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... There's something about the, you know, they, they do the magic that looks very similar to what was in the Doctor Strange movie, which Marvel magic comics has, has moved in that direction a lot to kind of match the visual aesthetic of the Doctor sure. Strange movie, which is, you know, I guess good and bad in its own right. Um, there's this hologram type thing that is has magic sperm coming out of it, and it kind of looks... It's something that might be like in deadly class, so I kind of like that. Totally, totally. Um, but yeah, as far as like the like the, all the little red playing cards with different faces and different dimensions of our heroes, um, really neither here nor there for me. There is a cool looking one, um, right by Beast, big toe, like between his toe and his knee. It almost looks like. An Edgar Allan Poe like costume ball Wolverine. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I did look through them, and I yeah, I picked out a couple that were kind of interesting, but overall, just didn't really care for the layout. Um, it's okay. obvious that the shadow behind him is the witch, witch Doctor Beast, I guess is what we'll call him. I don't know. Um, yeah, that works. Yeah, um, and so we know kind of where this is going, and we've seen Goblin Queen lurking in the background and Georgie I gotta ask you before we get because you know we're gonna reveal her presence in this book you know pretty quick I would think I don't remember why she's still a thing do you remember like because I know like after Inferno you know there was that kind of a drawn out X Factor thing where Jean and Madeline kind of split time uh-huh. like in the body and then I thought eventually Madeline was kind of kicked to the side and then I remember of course there was that alternate dimension book with Havoc where he right. was like the goblin prince or whatever and so that was heavily involved with Madeline but I don't remember when she ever I just I forget the story I forget the background on why she's still you know the ruler of limbo and because doesn't magic still go back and forth there? And how does that, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, weren't, weren't the X-Men in limbo for a while? <laughs> yeah, right. So is it another dimension? I'm like, I don't know, man. Okay, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not really impressed by the cover either. I don't feel like the color work is all that, doesn't really draw me in. It's, it's an interesting concept to have Beast finally embracing the magic but I, I I don't the top third of the book uh, the cover feels kind of wasted uh, right. nothing really defined 
I, it just wasn't engrossing to me. I'm already past the cover. <laughs> so, yeah. moving into the book, um, we start off with Pete uh, talking to uh, a mutant who's got bandages over her face. Is her name Gazing Nightshade? Yes. Yeah. She's she's one of the Magipore mutants we met before uh, the Secret Empire. Right, uh, right. I just, this seems like a awfully long name for a character. Anyway, uh, they're talking in the cafeteria, or are they in a restaurant? Or I'm not even certain where. Either way, they're talking sort of about magic, and I, I don't know. I'm just kind of bored with their their whole conversation here. <laughs> like, what what is your take with these other mutants that they've heard? characters they've encountered because this is the first time we're seeing one of them again right are you you happy that these guys are even around um i mean like with any new characters there's always the potential that something interesting could happen i haven't seen anything yet from these guys that make me like oh yeah that's great (laughs) you know in this conversation like we don't really learn anything about her necessarily besides it looks like she might have a thing for hank um you know, it's a nice little hand holding like the, you know, I'm going to grab your hand and try to soothe you and tell you that, you know, you shouldn't keep secrets or <laughs> whatever. Um, you know, and, and Beast is all like, well, can't turn back now. I've done it. And then, you know, she's out after that. So, you know, I don't right. know. I love, I do love this one panel of him that's got like a very deep five o'clock shadow going. Yeah. Look a little bit older. <laughs> So after his conversation, he decides to walk barefoot uh, back to, you know, yeah. I understand him being barefoot when he's fighting because he, he needs to use his, the way his, his feet grab onto things. But like walking through like the dirty streets of Madripoor, you'd think he'd wear some kind of shoes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you would think so. That's pretty gross. You know, yeah. all, all I thought was that's going to get some fungus. Yeah, man. He's got to get home and just like hose off his feet before he goes in the front door. <laughs> I don't... Anyway, he's, he's walking back and he is sort of not ambushed, but blindsided a bit by the Goblin Queen. And she's like, it's time. It's time. What do you think of the way they're drawing her, especially with, with the horns they got going? I mean, that's how she's been since we've seen her uh, going back to the last volume of all new X-Men. So like I said, I don't remember why she is what she is. You know, I, I, I'm sure I probably read the story. I just don't remember it. Um, but I mean, it's, it's visually consistent with where she's been lately. So I don't know. And we'll talk more about the art in this book overall. But um, as far as the representation, it seems what it is get into something that I thought was a little bit more interesting and that was uh, Bobby in the danger room uh, training with danger and she's trying to get him to really unlock more of his potential which uh, you know we're not really going to talk about Iceman this week but uh, we saw him do some pretty crazy things in that book so we know that he has that potential that just needs to sort of some training to bring it out but this is these two pages were much more interesting for me how about you uh yeah, and again, not to not to blow my final opinions too much. More interesting and more visually interesting as well. Sure. 
Um, and of course, we see Bobby turn into a giant ice hulk, which is always fun. Um, and I thought visually, that was probably the best panel of the book was the one where he kind of hulks up and Danger is slicing at him with her chainsaw arms. Yeah. Like she's a cyborg dreadnought from G.I. Joe. But, um, yeah. Yeah, no. And the the colors on that this little section, just everything was kind of blue and gray. It looked uh-huh. really nice, had a nice tone to it. Definitely, definitely one of the highlights of the book. Awesome. So, uh, on the other side of the, uh, what are we calling it, the Magiport Mansion? I don't know what we're calling this home base, <laughs> but we have uh, a conversation between Polaris and Magneto, and I don't feel like any of the artwork in either of these two pages is very intriguing in, in any way. No. Like, I know this is supposed to be a conversation and a lot of the interest in what they're saying, but even, like, the expression on their faces is really kind of blank throughout the whole conversation. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, this is a hard thing to draw, right? And we've, there's a lot of artists that aren't successful at it, and there's some that are. But it is still the artist's job to use art to help bring life to some of these words. And this art is so flat that I think that Bun wrote a decent conversation, but it's visually so flat that it makes the conversation sound flat. Like I feel like sure. I feel like they're talking in monotone, and it's because of the way it looks, not necessarily because of the words that are used. It's just, right, right. yeah, I don't know. I'm not really digging Magneto's costume in this setup either. Like the More coloring pol- just feels very muted. Yeah, don't care for Polaris's either. Right, right. This is not my favorite design of hers. Well, um, basically, all, they just agree that she's going to stick around for a while, just sort of keep an eye on Magneto and be his his lieutenant, who also gives a dissenting opinion, which could you know be beneficial moving forward. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we move over to Jean and Scott, who are out walking in the like Zen garden behind the mansion here, and uh, they're sort of rekindling their romantic past. And I feel like Scott, they're both drawn in like weird dimensions and they look sort of just like ugly. These are like some of the worst pages in the book. (laughs) Yep, I agree. But then we spoke previously about the artist that when maybe when he had more time, he was able to do things a little bit better. Well, so that that brings up a good point. The name sounds familiar. Where has he been on this book or we read him somewhere else? Wasn't he like? I mean, maybe he's not the same person from the the book previously, but uh, it, like the artwork feels similar. It does. It's, it's it feels like Corey Smith, but not as good. Right. So I can't remember Valletta if that was one. That's not one of the guys. I, I mean, if it is, is very very different. I feel like that's a similar name to one of the mm-hmm. one of the rotating guys on Iceman, but this is nothing like that. No, no. So it can't be the same guy. Maybe he's just trying to ape Corey Smith, and that's why we're getting sort of the... It's just, you can tell there's something off about it. But Scott and Gene are are getting back at it, and (laughs) for some reason we've got to bring them back together. And uh, on the flip side, we've got Angel and Jimmy uh, flying out to the wasteland because uh, they're hunting for something. And they meet Kira Lee, who is the sheriff of the previous... Where was it that they... 
yeah, Colorado. It was Sheriff that met in Colorado previously when they first uh, met Jimmy. Right. So what are they hunting for out here? Uh, they're hunting for links to Jimmy's past. And because she says that there's something weird going on. I I feel like maybe this is somehow tied to where Jimmy and the other mutants came over from the ultimate dimension that maybe like they they landed here or, you know, they were brought here after they got here or somebody did something to them. You know, I'm I'm really curious. This is to me one of the more intriguing parts of the book um, to see like, you know, because we know that like he was at some point part of that mar- that ultimate Marauders crew, right? Right. Because they were trying to get him back, and so was he there? You know, when he came over and then forgot and left, or did he come over by himself when they caught him and did something to him? I, I'm really curious to see how much, because obviously, right, forgetting your past. You know, some kind of tie-in to these evil mutants. I mean, it's very much a Logan Wolverine thing. And I'm curious to see right. how much it parallels, whether it's like just a different version of that, whether they're just kind of teasing us with some of that and they're going to try to do something different. Like, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where it goes. Um, there's not really enough here to move the story along too much. No. But, you know... And I think we talked about this this last time. I don't remember which book it was. Um, but it's one of those things, too, that I feel like there's... You can add more to this page by just kind of talking about it and thinking about it than what's actually there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I, that, I was probably a little guilty of that again. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I'm curious to see what they find and how it ties into the Ultimate Universe and how much it, it looks like a Logan story and where the differences are. Right, right. That could be interesting. Um, so that's only like two pages, and then we'll right back to Beast, who is in his dorm room with the Goblin Queen behind him, sort of tutoring him as he's trying to work his magic. And what I do like about this, and I do like that Marvel has adjusted their stance on, on magic a little bit, especially if you read any of the Doctor Strange book, but that um, also, not to sort of take a tangent, but it's something that the Game of Thrones really does very well, is that they express that magic has a cost. Right. And that it's not just flick, it's not Harry Potter, you flick a, your wrist <laughs> and then wine appears, right? It's doing things as a cost on your body or your will, or sometimes you have to sacrifice for it. And so Beast is trying to you know, conjure this spell, and he's saying how difficult it is and how straining, and she's like, look, magic isn't easy. So, Yeah, no, that was cool. And, and what, I like your tie-in. It does tie in very much to the the Jason Aaron and Chris Bacallo's Doctor Strange run, which was one of the better runs of the last few years. For sure. So that, that, that part was a little bit interesting, I thought, uh, that they were able to tie that in. Um, but then, you know, after her, her coaching, Beast is able to complete the spell, and he summons forth some kind of crazies and also changes him into some sort of, like, beastly beast. Like, he's had... Like, if this is the way that he becomes a beast, is I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. Well, we've but, seen this before, right? Was him becoming like a like a monster? Yeah, yeah, and the uh, right before the last version of all new X Men ended, 
when we first introduced him to magic, uh, one of the spells turned him into this kind of were beast, and he has like ram horns and yeah. If you look at the shadow on the front cover, uh-huh. like where he has kind of like the the, the ram horns and the shaggy right, right. shoulders, like that's his that's what his visage is when he completely succumbs to magic. So, gotcha. So yeah, it's not it's not great, but um, you know, well, it is what it is. Yeah. All right, so basically, um, these these people get summoned forth, and the rest of the X Men notice it, and they come running in to see what's happening, and um, they start fighting these like demons who are all over the place. So, what eventually, what do we see is is summoned forth, Jason? What what has happened here? Well, we get a terrible pun. <laughs> That's yeah. Right. And she, uh, Madeline, we see these like dark X-Men. We see like a dark pixie. A Well, I did think the, the most interesting part to me of all of this was we have this kind of evil demonic colossus yeah. and he has the soul sword. Yeah, totally. That was pretty cool. Okay. So and almost like that, you know, we talk about, you know, that's, that's an X-Men thing, right? That there's th- these different mutations and different powers seem to gravitate to certain bloodlines and so seeing that like it's just a different Rasputin that has a soul sword I thought was really interesting Um, right again there's probably like a backstory you could write to that that'd be a lot (laughs) more interesting than what we're actually looking at but um (laughs) but it is it is visually striking and then of course we have like Storm and I remember this Nightcrawler monster because that was also an all new X-Men um but I don't remember what the what the background of it is. You know, now that it's got well, well two comments. First, uh, the Colossus armor looks pretty cool. Like I could see that working out in some other book. Yeah, uh, he's just a pretty interesting looking character. But also, they say that uh, this evil storm is Bloodstorm. So maybe these are really the characters from that alternate dimension that that uh, Havoc went to. Maybe I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't read much of that book. Did you read that? Like a lot I of that. I read maybe four issues or yeah. five issues, but yeah. that was so long ago. Yeah, I can't remember. That was like two thousand two or something, right? Maybe oh, even before that. Maybe even a little before that. Yeah, because um, it was wrapping up when I got back into comics, hot and heavy. Like it was already kind of coming towards its end. Um, I, I, I remember the beginning he had gone over there and, and like some of I think it was Storm and Gambit, maybe both of those versions were vampires and Yeah. Yeah, so I don't that's only that's why I'm guessing maybe they're from that dimension. But they're called the Hex Men. <laughs> yes. That's that's the wonderful pun you were talking about. Yeah. I I don't know what's worse, actually saying Hex Men or the fact that she goes, get it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want the I want the like the X Men to like give like a slow clap, like hey, that was that was right, a good one. Right. Yeah. Oh, hats off to you, Goblin Queen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they've taken out everybody except for you know our new. We can't call him Dark Beast. We already have a Dark Beast. Um, right. Um, anyway, he's still there, but he's evil now. And then of course uh, Scott and Gene are our only heroes still active at the moment so yep and so ends issue 10 yeah 
And so there's an interesting part to that because, you know, Madeline even says, oh, my two favorite X-Men, which obviously, you know, going back, you know, all the way to Inferno, like her hatred for Scott and Jean is like tantamount to about anything. Um, So the fact that they're the two that are going to kind of have to stem the tide for the X-Men is is interesting. There's, and I kind of feel like that's this whole book. There's interesting bits. (laughs) Right. Right. But what did you uh, what did you think of the art overall? I mean, I'm not really a fan of Corey Smith. I, I believe that's the guy who's normally doing the book, right? He's done the last the last half arc or so, yeah. Right. So, like, I I don't think he's bad. It's just not my my type of artwork. But um, this is definitely a step down from that. It's like someone trying to ape his style. Right. Um, and the coloring doesn't really help either. Like uh, this this artwork was pretty bland to me. Yep, I agree. Did not did not care for it overall. Couple of exceptions that we already talked about, like the Iceman scene, um, looked pretty decent. Uh-huh. But everything else visually was just really boring to me. Yep. Um, right. So the story overall, or and there's kind of multiple stories going on here. Um, so I, we 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 agree they're interesting bits. Is it an interesting story? I don't feel like it is. <laughs> like I was ready to check out halfway yeah. through. Yeah, yeah, me too. What do you what do you think about Magic Beast overall? What's your what's your overall gut on that? I I like the idea of Beast using magic. Of like, there's an interesting piece where he's like, look, when I was, I I can't adapt to being this far in the future, like. I feel like it's like an old man trying to get back into technology and he can't quite like figure out what's, what's happening. Right. Even though he's like very smart, he can't adapt to the current culture. So he's like, okay, how can I still contribute? I can do magic. Let's see what I can do with this. So that's like an interesting place to start, but they've like put it on the back burner for like so long. And then finally they're bringing it out. I feel like the payoff doesn't quite, live up to nine issues of like hinting at beast doing magic behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, what do you think about, you know, you brought up a good point because in that, that the whole conversation with gazing nightshade was based around the centerpiece of him feeling left behind, right? Uh-huh. That in the, in the land he came from, you know, his intellect was supreme and he was able to, outthink all his opponents and, and out invent all of his opponents. And so just, just based on what we know about Hank McCoy, obviously he got smarter as he went, right? Um, do you think young Hank would really have that much trouble adjusting? Or do you think this is a case of, you know, he's one of the, one of the characters left when we still have both versions? And so, since older Hank is, like, the genius, and even sometimes kind of the mad scientist, then we need something to distinguish them. And so, you know... Oh, sure, there's definitely that, but there's also been, you know, Hank trying to play with time and sort of feeling the effects of time travel, and this is just another way of riffing on on that sort of theme. Like, he's this this young guy, but he's from the past, and he can't quite adapt. And, and, And maybe part of that is his brain. Like Iceman is able to just like, all right, I'm in, like my time's fine. I'm in my time's gonna have fun and make friends. Mental issues, she's trying to work through, etc., etc. Et 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they really put a a hard stamp on it, but it's definitely. I mean, it's definitely not the '60s anymore. do that yeah i'll do that three out of six claws the official podcast score <laughs> all right well we will move on from there to x-men goldfish number 11 um in kanye <laughs> an unfortunate title i'm guessing that's russian now that we're we're uh siberian deep into the story um but in Kanye Part 2, written by Mark Guggenheim, penciled by Lan Medina, inked by Craig Young, colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, Woo-hoo. and uh, cover art by Dan Mora and David Curiel. Now, I will say this. I was glad to see a Dan Mora cover. I've been enjoying his, his covers popping up around, and uh, this one was a pretty good one. Um... Basically, we have Old Man Logan and the X-Men Goldfish team tackling uh, Omega Fish Oil Red. And, um, yeah, it's some pretty... What do you think of the cover, Georgie? No, I think this is this is the best artwork of the book. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, two corners are, like, covered <laughs> in unnecessarity. Well, Hold on one second. Hold on. Yeah. So, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I really like the artwork here, the the color work. I feel like this is this is when an art team is you know in sync and aligned with what they're doing. Like this, just it's shiny and bright and energetic, and I feel like the whole team's involved and they look like the characters. It's even. Even the the parts that are off still like work for me. Like I really enjoyed this cover. Yeah, and I gotta say, you know, we've talked about this stupid white triangle, right? But Dan Mora gets at least a little bit of respect because this is the first time, and I I flipped through to double check. This is our first cover where the art overlays part of the triangle. Overlays part of the triangle. So, oh right, no, you're right. So, yeah, yeah, so like yeah. Wolverine's claws and Omega Red's um, rape tentacle, like mm-hmm. bleed yeah, over the triangle it, yeah. on top of it instead of just the triangle covering up the art. So, mm-hmm. that, that was interesting. We haven't seen that yet. No, it was yeah, even little... in the top left, we've got the lightning going over the characters there too. Yeah, 
Interesting. Okay. Well, props to Dan Moore for whatever card he played to get that done. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> all right, so we go back to Russia where old man Logan is interrogating Uncle Bratva. Um, and Colossus and Kitty are like, no, maybe don't stab him just yet. Um, <laughs> Colossus is like, one reason, he, he's my uncle. And then Kitty's like, because I said so. Mm, all right. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that I stole Uncle Bratva from Old Man Logan. <laughs> I think I caught him that last issue, actually, so I think Mark Guggenheim stole that from me. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> anyway, they realize that, you know, and he admits that he set him up, but he had to. No, does he actually say why he had to? He just says I had no choice. Right. I mean, I think it's just because he's in the mafia. He couldn't really. Right. So anyway, um, they're like, all right, Peter, it's your decision. And so one hour later at the church of St. Mitrophon, um, he goes with Colossus uh, bound. And... The way you said that, I think you said St. Mutual Fund. Oh, yeah, yeah. St. Mutual Fund. Um, you know, <laughs> where all your ties roll over into IRAs. Um <laughs> <laughs> without paying taxes um tax free um hey so georgie i meant to ask you guys this last time and and we got into our our normal gripe fest on this book and i forgot but why does their instead of a pentagram their magic is the old house of m logo do you know what's going on there oh wow <laughs> yeah why is that <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, he gives uh, uh, Colossus's uncle turns him over to his boss and the red scarf, and then we find out, of course, it's all big. It's all big. Old switcheroo, nightcrawlers hanging from the rafters. Old man Logan and Kitty are on a balcony. They argue about whether they have guns or not. Omega Red shows up. And one of the better pages of the book, there's a full-page splash where he attacks and we get a snicked. Um, so then Omega Red fights Old Man Logan. We get some uh, taunting there. He's like, you're old and slow. He's like, and you're Wolverine. He's like, I'm not Wolverine anymore. I may be kind of old and slow. I don't know. Um, uh, the for boss tells... Colossus' uncle to shoot him. He's like, I have to. And he's like, oh, no, you don't. I got to do this. And the Nightcrawler jumps down. Colossus busts out of the ropes. Um, so we, we find out that uh, Magic, who was way too easily kidnapped last issue, has also somehow been forced to use her magic on Omega Red <clears throat> and uh, to, to power him up, to power boost him. Um but Peter is fighting, Nightcrawler is fighting, they all get away. Um, Prestige tries to read Omega Red's mind, but she can't. It's just bad. Kitty picks up a giant machine gun and says, Choke on this! And in my least favorite part of a book I didn't care for, she goes, I don't speak Russian, but how do you say, Choke on this? And she oh, shoots yeah. Omega Red. And then Omega Red, as he's stabbing her with his coils, answers her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it actually says choke on this in Russian to show that Martin Guggenheim knows how to use Google Translate. Mm -hmm. um, 
So then they go to like some catacombs under the church and they find Ileana and she's like, oh, I didn't mean to. But then she goes full magic and soul swords the, the bad guy, which takes him out. Why she didn't do that earlier, I don't know. Um, Omega Red and Omega Logan find some more. Um, evil Russian guy fights back with his magic. But somehow Colossus' armor is up, and he punches him because still is impervious to magic, remember? Um, and then, so he punches to him. We do get a somewhat interesting little double panel where uh, Omega Logan is standing over Omega Red's body, and Colossus is standing over the, the bad guy, and they say, it's over. Then his uncle goes to Russian jail, which that's not going to end well for him. And then uh, Peter and Colossus. No, wait, that's that's not right. <laughs> Kenny. <laughs> P- yeah, Peter and Colossus make out in one of the weirdest scenes you've ever seen. Now, um, Kenny and Colossus make out. How and say, did they do that? Right. And say, let's go home. And then go home. Um, all right. So I spoke last time in X Men Goldfish number 10 that I thought Lan Medina was an improvement in the art. And right. I will still take him over, say, like Ken Lashley or anything Definitely. overly 90s, but this issue was not as good as the last, I didn't think. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's great, but it's not as bad as the stuff we were getting previously, that's for right. sure. And, you know, it's weird because I, generally speaking, like Frank Martin a lot. The colors on this seemed a little... I don't know if off's the right word or didn't fit the tone of the story or were bright and muted in weird places. I don't... Definitely, that's what I would say. It was like the brights were like super bright and really stood out where they shouldn't and like the muted parts were really muted and like the tone was off. Yeah. It would shift from one to another, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so... Like, Like the page when she goes super magic is like so bright and blue compared to everything else. It's so... Right. It doesn't match. Yeah, I agree. I like. I do like her. The the sound one where she slashes is shaker ash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of magic fireworks there. Yeah. Um, and it's weird how he just kind of unexplainably gets up. But um, mm-hmm. anyway. It, it, a nice tidy bow in this story where shield i'm sorry uh was it sickle was that what she, yeah sickle <laughs> the russian version of shield um collects uh, omega red's body and everyone goes to jail or dies peter and kitty are back together um i don't know that's yeah, you man. know <laughs> um all right, so uh, it's unfortunate that Dan's not here because I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear his little rant. Um, and I know that I probably like the CWDC shows more than you and Dan do. Now, we can argue how much that is, but I would say it's, it's arguably more because I think you guys don't really care for them at all, right? I think there, there are pieces, parts that I like. Yeah. I think Dan doesn't like them, I think, all of it. Right, <laughs> yeah, except for maybe, uh, what's the one with all the time travel? I think he likes that one okay. 
Oh. Yeah, I think that that's my favorite as well, just because yeah. it's like stupid, fun, like right. dumb comic bookiness, and they don't really apologize for it. So right. <laughs> it's enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever you want to say about, I mean, maybe Arrow in particular, who Guggenheim did a lot of work on, this, this book, this X-Men Gold in general, feels a lot like that show. Mm-hmm. And whether you like or don't like that show... It's not necessarily even the even the parts of it I like. I don't necessarily want to see in my X Men. Um, it's like it's a different kind of of thing, and I you know I don't know. I think I think also there's a difference. I think there's some of that that works okay in a serialized TV show that doesn't translate as well to comics, and I just, I don't know I. Like if you just say yeah, there's a a, mush, a Russian mo- a Russian mob a Russian mob <laughs> and Omega Red and you know we get a rematch of you know because Omega Red is like well you're the guy that killed me but not really because you're old and slow and not you know the Wolverine anymore uh, so you're not really the guy that killed me um, so even that rematch like it's almost like through the dialogue like he almost cuts the legs out of it in his writing like. Instead of just celebrating the fact that, hey, this is a rematch between, you know, Wolverine and Omega Red from that, you know, you know, awesome in my memory introduction of Omega Red. I don't, would I still love it? I don't know. But in my head, it sounds great. Um, but he's, but immediately he's like, oh, but it's not, you're not even the same guy. You're old and slow and, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you want to? You want to talk about this at all? I kind of don't care. Um, I mean, just overall, I, I think, you know, we already talked about the artwork. I, I feel like they don't really know what they're doing with the characters here. The way, I, I hate the way that the gold team is continually overpowered by guys with guns. Like, yeah. two guys with guns can take out the whole <laughs> team here, or, like, one guy with a gun can take out the whole mansion. Right. It's, it's I don't, know that Guggenheim understands the power of these characters or like how teamwork can be used to overcome the enemies I don't <laughs> you know like the old um, like like the first X-Men movie where they just like separate and instead of using teammate uh, teamwork to take out the enemies they each have like one liners and then do, usually mutant power once and take out the enemies and it's right. so like that's not how a team works this feels so much like that again like just single panels of, and for some reason Colossus can meddle up again with no explanation. He was just waiting for the right time. I, I don't know why all of a sudden Peter and, 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 and what's her name, Kitty are back together, and how Prestige is less as Dan likes to say this Omega level mutant can't do anything <laughs> in this book. At all, right? It's so sad. And was Storm even in the book? Like no. she's on the cover. But no, she she stayed home, I guess. Yeah, she's she's just in the background, like doing nothing. Actually, you know what she is? She's busy. She's too busy being awesome in Black Panther right now. Well, if yeah. You, if you want to like, read some awesome Storm, go read Black Panther. Right. Yeah, I'm not really happy about anything that this book is doing at the right. moment. I don't think it understands its characters. It doesn't know how to write them. 
Yeah, I, I want to go back to a tweet you tweeted about them being useless. Yeah, they're totally useless. <laughs> like, what, for example, Storm's in the book does nothing. Liana's really powerful, like she's like a badass and is easily overpowered. And Like, Nightcrawler is there, but is he used to, like, go and look for... Liana or try to like sneak in and like play to her strengths. No. Shadow Cat is taken out so easily by Omega Red. She she's so bad she has to like use a gun all of a sudden. Like the, he doesn't understand how to use the characters so they end up being you like they can't do anything. Right. You know, it's you funny you mention that because I can understand like, you know, third, fourth appearance, Shadow Cat, you know, doesn't phase fast enough to get away from the tentacle. Right. But this is Kitty Pride now. Like phasing, you know, in reaction to danger is like an automatic instinct. Like she shouldn't get stabbed by Omega Red just because she was busy trying to figure out if he really said choke on this or not. <laughs> or or is he just lying to me and he's saying like on this we choke <laughs> you know some weird like Russian grammar. You know, it's I don't Yeah. I Yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't like how they're easily taken out every time. And then there's some, like, MacGuffin or strange reason that suddenly Klaus's, his metal is back. So obviously that's all he needed, and he can block all the magic now, and, and just one punch takes out this dude. Right. Where, where a slice from Magic Sword couldn't do anything to him. One punch from Colossus, and the guy is knocked out. I don't, I don't understand the logic of this book. I think is is what's getting to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. All right, well, let's talk about something else. What do you want to grade X Men Gold number eleven? Uh, two out of six. Yeah, me too. All right, we're we're in step so far tonight. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's move on to Astonishing X Men number three. All right, Astonishing X Men number three. Uh, one second, while you open this up on the computer here. Alrighty. Okay. Astonishing X-Men number three. Unfortunately, there's no page. There we go. <laughs> Fumbling like an idiot. <laughs> um, Astonishing X-Men number three. Writer, Charles Soule. Penciler, Ed McGinnis. Inker, Mark Morales. Color artist, Jason Keith. And letterer Reese's Clayton Cowles. So this is another X book with uh, Jason Keith as the colorist. Oh yeah. So uh, the front cover we've got sort of an evolution of Logan uh, from boy to just escaping from Weapon X to you know classic Wolverine and now old man Logan uh, on like this sandy hill and then in front of all of them is just the skull with the claws. Right. So I I, I really don't like this cover at Oh really? All. I kind of do. <laughs> oh no. Well that's good. We, fight. we needed to, to disagree about something. So um, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm an Ed McGinnis fan in general so we'll see how that plays out through this issue mm-hmm. as well. But um. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a nice play into the story, if that's what you want to call it. And um, <laughs> I don't know, I, I really like the color. I like the yellow-orange sky 
worked for me. And then the way, like, the, the title was in a different yellow with the blue. I don't know, just the way it all came together just worked for me. Sure, I'll, I'll, I will agree that I do like that part. I like that it doesn't have stuff on the corners blocking out the artwork. Right, how did they get away with that? Yeah, but I don't like the way that old man Logan is drawn or how, like, young boy Logan is drawn. I don't feel like the skull with the adamantium all over it looks particularly well done and the sand looks like really half-ass. <laughs> okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> But as an idea, I think that's an interesting idea to show Logan, like the evolution of Logan. Right. Or do you do you prefer that we call him James? Oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're a purist. Yeah. So if you remember uh, last time we left off the Astonishing X-Men, um, they were separated and told to go through different doors that had their names on them. So... Uh, this is Wolverine going through after he's gone through the old man Logan door and he's climbing uh, like an ice uh, cliff with his claws and he's struggling because he's an old man. Um, and at the same time, we pull back to the tower in London with Psylocke and Archangel and Bishop and they're like, "Uh oh, they're about to shoot us. We better do something. And then Angel is just like Mr. Happy Angel, fly, like teleports in front of them of, of these police that are about to shoot them. He's like, "Hey, let's be friends." I don't understand the logic behind this at all, but this was the most like the weirdest part of the issue, and maybe the one I liked the most, just right. because it was so like, why would he ever do that? How would that right. ever work? Well, to be fair, the other X Men are thinking the same thing. <laughs> no, sure, sure, sure. It was like, okay. That, that stood out to me, uh, at least. Um, and then Wolverine finally finishes climbing the, the ice cliff, and he has to attack a bunch of like undead samurai. And what I did like was uh, they have actual Japanese of them speaking. Yeah. And it's directly, and they're, they're saying, uh, kill him. Oh, so, okay. That was pretty cool. Um, and he's like, nope, I don't need to fight you, because I know this is... Uh, I almost said the shadow plane, which is obviously not what this is called. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, yep, but they're in the astral plane, so like I know we're in the astral plane. You can't, you can't do anything to me. And so then they attack him with other memories. He's like, nope, I know it's the astral plane. You can't take me. So it was almost like anticlimactic with how well Wolverine is able to just, or, sorry, Old Man Logan is able to just go past all of those traps. Right. I don't. I don't remember him, you know, in my mind, like his mental is the way to attack him. Like he should have a weaker mental faculty than the other X-Men, but maybe that's just me. Well, I mean, he's had the experience. What I thought was interesting, and not to jump ahead, but he talks about how in his world he attacked and killed the Shadow King. Uh And I thought, like, really? (laughs) We didn't see that, no. Yeah. But uh, it does lead to us finally seeing, you know, Professor X, who's also trapped in the astral plane, uh, start to actually contact the X-Men. And he's trying to convince uh, old man Logan that he's really here and that he needs to speak to Logan. Uh, Then we flash back to, not flash back, then we we jump back to Archangel slash Angel, who's still trying to be friends with these policemen in the helicopters, they go to shoot him, and he's about to get angry, and he's like, no, I forgive you, we're friends. 
and, and, and Bishop's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> then after that, we jump back into the astral plane and we see like clips of how the other X-Men are sort of faring um, in their, their time in the astral plane. And we get some more banter between um, Bantor, excuse me, between <laughs> Logan and Professor X, and he's still trying to convince him, like, "Hey, we got to we got to do something here." I'm I'm really Professor X. We need to talk, and he's able to stab Logan, and they have this fight with, with Professor X is in this weird like this weird samurai slash space armor with a big X on his head. <laughs> what did you think of this? Even his sword is like an X. Um. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird, but it reminds is very very reminiscent of his astral armor from the Shadow King's first appearance, right, where he right, was kind right. of like an X Men conquistador. Um, yes, 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 yes. So it's a little more the X parts are a little more exaggerated, mm-hmm. but the design was very similar with the shield and the sword and the helmet and all that. So I thought that part was kind of cool. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's bad, but it was just like it really stood out when he he jumped into that. Right. Um, and they, they fight for, for a minute. And uh, then we pull back to the Shadow King and Professor X talking. And the Shadow King thinks that Old Man Logan's fighting uh, Mr. Sinister, but it's really um, Professor X trying to pull the wool over the Shadow King. So, what do you think is happening here? Is this like a real piece of Professor X that's trying to take control of. I don't know. I was going to ask you. I got really confused, but but I got really confused by the end. So I guess I'll I'll wait till we. All right. Continue. But there's this weird part where his hand gets all zombified. Right. I think it's because he's 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 using too much of his power, so it's like draining him. Yeah, this maybe so. Take. Um, but then we jump back to the real world, and um, the police finally approach the X Men, and they're like, "Uh oh," but. Here's old man Logan, and he's just snuck up behind this police officer and stabbed him through the heart. And yes. it says, to be continued. But if you look in his eyes, they're like all blacked out, like smoke coming out. So yeah. it looks like Shadow King has taken control of him. Yeah, so that's the part I don't get. So the Shadow King, well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, um, I want to play back on your on your useless idea. Because there's uh-huh. a part where... Uh, where Professor X says, you know, Logan feels useless and, you know, feeling useless. And so the whole idea, right, is that Professor X is trying to talk to Logan in the in the shadow plane. Um, and Logan doesn't believe it's him. But Professor, right. but then um, Shadow King thinks that he's fighting Mr. Sinister. So Professor X has done this trick. But then Professor X is like, well, he's not useless. He has many uses. And then he sees old man Logan fighting his old astral projection. But he is still above it, not chained. And then we go back to him in chains, talking to the Shadow King. He says, you know, I'm surprised, but he's not my Logan, which I thought was funny because he's not my Logan. Oh, either. right, right, right. Um, he's not mine either, bub. But, um, uh, <laughs> let me say, um, but so if we don't see any other conversation between them at that point, and then we see Logan coming back and stabbing the cop with the black eyes. Now, 
the whole thing that we built up to, right, was that, and even in this issue, they talk about, you know, if the Shadow King wins, he's going to come to our world by taking over our bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. But the last time we saw, at least in regards to Logan, the Shadow King was not winning. Professor X was winning. And he had Logan trapped in like, almost like this infinite loop. So I almost wonder if this is not... And the It's been played as though this is like a remnant of Professor X's, Professor X's psyche. He's still dead, but there's this piece of him that's the Shadow King trapped. So I'm wondering right. if either that piece of Professor X has been corrupted by being around the Shadow King, or maybe it's not even really Professor X at all, and it's some other malignant force. But I feel like that's what took over Logan and not the Shadow King. Right, so, yeah... I don't. I don't think it's it's the Shadow King's taking over. But all right. So let's let's clarify. Within the Shadow King's realm right now, there's him, and then there's this Professor X sort of entity, right? right. So as you've alluded to, this could be like a piece that's left over. Uh, he could be corrupted. It could be someone else who's like pretending to be the Professor X and and playing the Shadow King. My thoughts are that it is a piece of Professor X okay. who has. Who has been corrupted, right? Um, and or you know maybe the hand is also a hint that it's someone else that he's <laughs> unable to maintain his like facade once he's using too much of his mental faculties. So it's actually not Professor X. Georgie, Georgie. Yeah, we've been ha- we've been on a big nostalgia kick in the X books, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of nods to the nineties. What if this is onslaught? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> oh, please don't. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's onslaught, and then we can bring back X Men to fight him. And right. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, you know, I would anyway. Um, so <laughs> I believe that since this, prof- we we can only really call him Professor X for now, because uh, right. we don't know anymore. Um, is the one that's taken over Logan, but he's also sort of part of um, the Shadow King, and that's why his eyes are still blackened and, and smoky like that, because he's sort of, I don't know, maybe using his power to overtake Logan, but I don't know why he would stab this policeman. And there weren't there, wasn't there talk of the book before, the, the issue before of, of Professor X being like, yes, I'm going to be the one to kill them? Yeah, yeah, his whole, and I think maybe it's a ruse, right? Is that he's telling the Shadow King, "I want to win, so I can I can kill them mercifully." Which, right. Um, yeah. So I don't know unless his idea of killing them mercifully is that he's going to let Old Man Logan repeat his past and kill all the X Men now. Oh boy. Um, which you know, and I will say this: um, Give it or take it, and, and, and kind of being burnt out on Old Man Logan in general. I do think that the first couple of pages that Charles Soule wrote Old Man Logan more with more like kind of actual emotion than we've been getting in from from the end of Lemire's run and from Brisson so far. So, sure. um, so that was that was okay. Um, yeah, I'm not real sure what's going on. Um, 
But I don't think we're supposed to be yet. And no, but I don't feel like the hints are, are quite there yet either. It's right. not enough for us to really understand or, or like start to piece together what's happening. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's also not enough for me and and a lot of people on the internet would disagree. <laughs> but for <laughs> me, there's not really enough there to be all that interested either. Nope. I mean, I, I love having this issue and sort of focus on Old Man Logan and, and really like digging into the character. Right. But everyone else is just sort of sitting there doing nothing except for Weird Angel who's like <laughs> just being Mr. Smiley into the police officers. I did like the Hulkish. Like where his skin starts to turn blue and veiny. Sure, sure. Like I thought that part was cool. In fact, I'm gonna say overall, I really enjoyed the way this book looked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a McGinnis fan, and I thought that on this particular issue, Jason Keith did a great job on the colors. No, oh, they're definitely more aligned on this book. Yeah. And and that last page looks pretty good. I will admit. Yeah, that big old grin. It's pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> even you know, like the, the eyes on uh, the policeman and the, and Logan's hand over his mouth. As yeah, well. like that looks. It's really well done. Yeah, no, I I thought the book looked great. Um, yeah. So, yes. of of the pieces of the story we're able to piece together, what what did you what did you think overall? I, I am still sort of like confused on what's what's going on here. I feel like we should have more Shadow King in here instead of whatever Professor X is doing. I, right. I feel like he's such an interesting character and visually like they, they started off drawing him really like with those spider legs. Right. Like really sinister, but we don't get enough of him here, uh, which was disappointing for me. Uh, so story-wise, I don't feel like like I mentioned, the hints, hints are really coming. I don't know what's happening. But uh, I do feel like, uh, at least definitely compared to gold and blue, the artwork here is much better. Yes, I agree. So what would you, you overall thoughts and what's your grade, Jason? Overall thoughts, looks great. Story's kind of ho-hum. Um, I do think this, I probably enjoyed this more than one and two. Um, so I feel like the book is is gradually improving, but kind of at a snail's pace <laughs> as far as improvement goes. <laughs> you know, I really struggled. I think just overall, this book is kind of just a flat three. Uh-huh. But the art, I kind of, I kind of want to give it a four just for the art alone. I don't know if I can. Um, right. I will say, you know, you talked about those samurai scenes. Like, you know, it's funny. Um, I don't know if you remember or if you ever saw, but um, so you know, Lady Deathstrike, her first appearance as a character was in Daredevil, where Daredevil fought her dad. Um, right. And then she turned into Lady Deathstrike kind of off-panel, and we saw her first in Alpha Flight. And her first appearance, there is uh, a cover on Alpha Flight of her and Wolverine and then a bunch of like evil samurais. It is by Mike Mignola. Mm-hmm. And it's a great oh, really? Yeah, it's a great cover and the and the samurais are all in kind of these weird eighties colors. So there's lots of like purples and greens and oranges and stuff. Huh. And so when I saw like these samurais with like their shadowy kind of purple armor 
it reminded me of that for, for some reason. So it gave me a nice happy feeling. Um, sure. <laughs> but I man, I don't know. Um, you know what? What the hell? I I really dug the way it looked. I'll just I'll be nice. And just so not all our books have the same grade, I will go four out of six claws. But it's a very weak four, and it's only because of the art. Right. And I'm going to say, like, the artwork in the astral plane is nice, but everything, well, not everything, but some of the stuff that's in the real world looks really ho-hum. Like the police officers staring at the screens, or Psylocke and Bishop actually look, especially Psylocke, looks really, I don't know, boring or, like, off-off model to me. But yeah, the, I can see that. The Logan stuff is, is really nice. So I think I'm going to give it a three. I actually like this more the second time through than the first, but I still feel like the story, I don't know what's happening here, what what they're trying to allude to. Um, so, yeah, three out of six for yeah. me. You know, it's interesting. This whole first arc is really going to come down to whether Charles Soule can can have a, a big payoff on the story. Right. And I would just say, just personally, I think that's completely up in the air. Uh, I've seen Charles Soule land some things really well, and I've uh-huh. seen him land some things and I didn't like as much. And so I really don't know what to expect from him just in general. Um, there's stuff of his I really, really like and some stuff I don't like as much. And... And this book right now feels very much kind of in the middle. So I'm just, I'm curious to see how it ends. But, um, right. but, but I'm not really excited to get, it's, it's weird. I'm curious, but I'm not excited, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, I feel like we could do something really cool with, with the Shadow King here, or even with this Professor X piece could end up being a really nice ending to the story, which, you know, you end the story on a, a high note, so to speak. You can really, you know, overturn any sort of bad feelings you had about the previous issue. So this, this could turn out, you know, better than we had hoped. But right. I guess we'll have to wait another two issues or so before we find out. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, and by the way, I have a feeling that Dan's grade would be much lower than ours, just based on... <laughs> yeah, I think I was swayed by just a, like... There's a couple of those Wolverine or uh, Logan pages that are just really quite nice to look at that yeah. I, I think just swayed me. Oh yeah, no, a different artist in this book is completely different. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're uh, so we're gonna save Iceman number five for when Dan's able to get back to us. Um, I I will say this, of all the books we're gonna talk about, it is hands down the best. Um, and so that's the reason I wanted to kind of save it. And also I will say as, as good as, and this, we've been pretty, pretty damn positive on this book all the way around from issue one, but this one hit me in a way emotionally that even in spite of the emotional beats we've had still kind of took me by surprise. Um, there was one part, uh, and, and some things that it reminded me of that I actually kind of choked up a little bit. So if you're not reading Iceman, we'll, we'll wait and talk about it. But if you're, I just want to say a little bit, if you're not reading it, go buy it. Give this book a yeah. chance and, and read it. It's a, it's a good book. And I also think it's an important book. And you just, you know, you should be reading it. 
So agreed. And if even if you don't like the story, the artwork and all these issues has been amazing. Yes, it has. It has indeed. So so definitely go check it out and we'll talk more about it later. Um we're gonna end the episode on Jean Grey number six. Uh, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Paul Davidson, colors by Jay Dobbin. <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew I was going to say Ramos instead of Ramos, so I said David instead of David. Um, and it, maybe it is. I don't know. We'll go. We'll go. We'll go. Ja David Ramos um, is a colorist. Uh, letters by VCs Travis Lanham, and the cover by David Yarden. So David Yarden does something a little bit different here. We've, I'm, I, I say we, I think we have been enjoying his covers on this book a lot. Um, but they've all been, you know, it's kind of David Yarden art. This one is very kind of painterly. Yes. But I still think it works pretty good. Um, so it's basically uh, young Jean on some kind of magic seal with candles and Doctor Strange is floating above her with magic hands, and astral electric gene is being pulled out of her body. And there's something about the magical part that really lends itself to the painter-ness of it. And so I really enjoyed the cover. Again, it's definitely different than what we've been getting, but I enjoyed it. Anytime we get magic or Doctor Strange, the trippier you know artwork we get, the better. Yes, I agree. In fact, I was going to say something about that. What was it? Oh, are you reading um, Infamous Iron Man? I am not. Should okay. I be? Uh, it's been pretty good. I've, I've been enjoying it. Um, uh, the, the artist, I, his name <laughs> just escaped me. I, I had a stroke uh, because I can't... I, I can't. Who's the guy? He works in business a lot. He did the uh, recently the Lando series. Um, did a lot, a lot of Daredevil. Alex Maleev, who's drawn the book. Um, you know, his art is always kind of subdued and, and kind of street level, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But the last issue had Doctor Strange, and he did some really kind of spacey, trippy stuff with it, um, which I thought was really interesting. Kind of I'm not going to say like stuff that he doesn't do or can't do because maybe he does it all the time at home, but it was, it, it was out of his normal comic wheelhouse and I really appreciated it. Um, so definitely go check that out if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, cool. And his art on this, on this book has been fantastic. Um, right. And you know, I would, you know, actually I would say if you enjoyed Superior Spider-Man, um, I think there's a lot of same there's a lot of tonal similarities in the scene Doctor Doom try to be Iron Man. As, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it plays well in that regard. Um, and, of course, it will depend on, on your opinion of Bendis. Um, I'm mostly pro-Bendis, so I generally don't have a problem with his books. But, um, yeah. Anyway, but back to this book by Dennis Hopeless. Um, so we start off. That, remember last time Jean had a voice in her head? She's trying to figure out who it is, so she came to Doctor Strange. Um, I love this first little part about how she's kind of put off by how flippant Doctor Strange is. Oh, right, yeah. And he's, like, talking about binging shows on Netflix, and she's, like, 
shouldn't you be like way more serious? He's like, oh, whatever. And then he, he chants some spell. And Gene's astral form leaves. And they go. I like how like just the ghost sitting around reading the paper and walking up the stairs. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we see that the voice, they're being pulled out in the flame. And Gene's like, well, of course it's the phoenix. And they can get kind of trippy, right? Some kind of trippy art. Um, almost Ditko-esque. You know, I've yes. been reading a lot of yes. the old uh, Ditko Doctor Strange stories, and like with kind of the eye in the sky and all the kind of spacey stuff, um, very much. Though also, this this guy uh, Paul Davison, I think we had him on another book earlier, and I think he made this same comparison. There's some facial expressions that remind me of someone kind of like the old MTV animation, right? Um. So that's definitely kind of his wheelhouse, I guess. Um, anyway, we see Dark Phoenix, and she swallows our characters with a nice rock uh, that only reminded me, if you remember um, from New Mutants, uh, Bird Boy. <laughs> <laughs> this scene reminded me of Bird Boy. Um, sure. Anyway, and so basically we take a trip down memory lane through other Jean Grey's memories. And, you know, there's a part where she talks about how she was kind of playing the part of the doll with the original X-Men. Um, I, I liked that the birthday cake was shaped like an X. I didn't think that right. was fun. Um, and so they kind of go through that. And then this part I thought was really interesting. So, Mr. Davidson here, we skipped to the 90s. And he completely changes his art style. Yeah, yeah. To look like the worst part of the 90s. And, <laughs> and I kind of hated it, but I kind of loved it because it was so intentional. Right. And and so much of like, hey, it's a 90s memory. And even like it gets like way more violent. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like Jean gets just beat to shit and she's all bloody and pulpy looking. There's that one great panel of, of Wolverine that looks like it's straight off of X-Men number one cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like screaming. He's got his claws out and like his fins are like super huge. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Is There's definitely like a very, I would say even a later, like even almost a late nineties feel to it. Um, oh, right. You're right. But, um, so Jean decides she's going to she's gonna bust some skulls with her, her magic telekinetic hammer, but there's a barrier, and the part where the barrier breaks is, is really great. And then, you know, this guy, this guy's killing me on his art here, because then we go to, like, oh, yes. 2000s, and he almost, I mean, it's almost like a caricature cartoon version but he almost kind of does like a nod to Frank quietly. And, yes, 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 totally. <laughs> and so we see kind of that part and, and how much Gene hated, like the way Emma kind of butted in uh, to her and Cyclops' relationship. And, and really, basically the gist is that Gene has to come to terms with the fact that her future past self, whatever, this other Gene is not the boogeyman that she has to avoid or that she even can avoid. It is not, and it doesn't even turn into a conversation of fate or destiny like it could have. Hulkwitz puts a twist on it and says, you know, forget all of that. Just acknowledge the fact that we're the same person. 
Right. You know, we maybe have different lives, but we're not different people. And and there's a part where where Jean's like, well, Jean is Jean Grey is Jean Grey is Jean Grey is. And she's like, yes. Who are you? And she's like, I'm you. I'm just you. And then the phoenix is like, all right, you learned your lesson. And then she blows up in a big <laughs> fireball. And uh, you know, we we go home and and Doctor Strange is like, well, what did you figure out? And she's like, well, I guess I figured out that I can't. I can't run from myself anymore. And the voice, you know, was, was me or a different version of me. And they, I like how he starts sweeping up the pentagram. I thought that I was, was kind of cool. Yeah. And, and then we see very much looking like, uh, Fom K Jensen. Yep. Uh, and she still sees, uh, a 90 or early two thousands, Jean Grey and Dr. Strange's like, who are you talking to? Oh, it's like, no buddy, I'm out. <laughs> It's such a it's such a good book. This yeah, this book's really great. Um, you know, and I it's interesting because Davison's art himself, there's parts of his, I guess, just his inherent style that I like, and parts that I don't like as much. But just the way he adapted as he told this story, oh, yeah. I thought so was brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, exactly the word. And um, just, yeah, even the parts that I wouldn't necessarily say were great looking were just really well done. Um, right. You know, because honestly, like, if, if this was just a guy drawing a story and we weren't having kind of the psychic journey... Then his '90s art, I wouldn't like. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't like it in and of itself. I like the fact that instead of just telling that part of the story in his normal style, he changed his style. And right. you know, the same thing with the Frank Quietly stuff. Like, if that was just what he was drawn, no thanks. But the fact that it's obviously a nod and and integral to that part of the journey, like, I don't know. It just it, it just worked really well for me in a way that might not have. Otherwise, for sure, he nails the Frank quietly like facial expressions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Scott Summers' lips there are like so Frank quietly. It's it's amazing. Yeah, man, I I agree. This artwork is is like breathtaking. The coloring is is perfect for everything that they they go through. The story is it's exciting and engaging, but also like. I don't know if deep is the right word, but integral to the character's like progression. Yeah. I don't know how you make a better, I mean, I, I still feel like Iceman is a slightly better book, right. but like you couldn't ask for a better Jean Grey book at this point in her, her, her life. No way. No way. Hopeless has taken this by the reins and, and really just willed her into a good character. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's not, you know, I've, I've said before, and I'll probably say it every episode. No, I'm continually surprised because I'm not necessarily a Jean Grey fan, but if this is Jean Grey and Hopeless, Hopeless's version of Jean Grey is who Jean Grey is going to be, I don't know if I keep saying I'm not a fan because this character is really interesting. For sure. And I hope we've hit a point in the story where she's no longer. I hopefully this is sort of the bookend to this first sort of trade, so to speak, where she knows who it is now, and that that's like the setting. So she maybe this this other Jean Grey is with her for a, a while for like the next trade, but yeah. we're not 
she's not trying to meet another person and trying to fix it from now on. It's more like, all right, I'm dealing with this as I'm sort of living my life. I hope is where we, we move forward because if it's still like going to another person, how do I fix it? How do I fix it? How do I fix it? We've done that six times already. Like it's time to, to move on to something else. So I'm hoping that that's where we're going to go. Yeah, I hope so too. And you know, it's hard to tell because we know that there's a lag right between mm-hmm. where these generation stories have been taking place. But right. it feels like to me, like this is right in step with the Phoenix oh, Generations yeah. book. Right. And and that to me just feels really wonderful because I think more than any other book yet, I mean I think we'll see more payoff as it goes. But I think more than any other book yet, these the Jean Grey book that we have and the Generations book feel the most cohesive as mm-hmm. actually telling like the same story. Um, For sure. And so I I don't know yeah um, I just I really enjoyed this I know there's you know not much Wolverine so much to speak of for the podcast but this book is just really really good and I'm more than happy to keep talking about it so yeah well you know I agree but speaking to the Wolverine point at least Astonishing had some nice you know old man Logan stuff going on right yeah yeah for the so what do you want to grade Jean Grey number six? I, I actually, I think I'm going to give this six out of six. Really? This, is, this was a really? great issue. Yeah. Like I want to say, I keep wanting to give it a five, but at some point I have to just admit, like, this is like <laughs> top-notch comic booking for Jean Grey. Like, I don't know anything could have been done really better for this issue. Right. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm a very high five out of six clause. I'm not quite ready to bump up to a six yet, but... um. You know what? We'll see. We'll see if we can get it there. Um, but yeah, I, I love seeing Doctor... I always love seeing Doctor Strange, which is weird, too. You know, it's funny. Um, just a little little sidebar here on my, my Doctor Strange journey. So, before the movie, really very limited exposure. Um, and the exposure I had, I did not appreciate. And... You know, going back and looking at what I read before, don't really appreciate that either. There's there's a chunk of Doctor Strange in the late 80s and the 90s just don't care for. Um, but, you know, after, you know, the movie came out, I really enjoyed the movie. It was fun. You know, not my favorite of the Marvel stuff, but I still sure. really liked it. Um, and then I saw that Jason Aaron and Chris Bockle were doing that book. And it was, you know, you know, it was whatever relaunch was going on at that time. I don't remember anymore. There's been so many. Um, but whatever, whatever event had just ended, and they started with the new number one. And you know, I was so in love with Jason Aaron's Thor book. It's like, can he do it again? And so I gave it a try, and turns out he can. He did do it again. I I thought right. the Doctor Strange book was great, and I've also kind of in my spare time been doing a Marvel history read-through. Um, yeah, Jason and, reads through the 60s, yeah. Yeah, and so with that, seeing his actual introduction at the hands of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Oh, and, right. And honestly, on the part of Stan Lee, most of those stories are neither here nor there. But that Ditko art, right. when he introduces Doctor Strange in those first several stories is like as much as 
I think I tweeted this at some point. But as much as I love Ditko's work on Spider-Man, uh-huh. like he was born to draw Doctor Strange. Oh yeah. And yeah. that that stuff is like the stuff of a legend. And so it's really given me an appreciation. Because I thought, okay, well, I just don't, I don't really care for the character, but Jason Aaron was able to turn him into something I like. But it turns out he started off really cool, too. And there's just kind of this weird middle part of his career I don't care for. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so always glad to see Doctor Strange. I guess it's a point of that whole long tangent. But, um, yeah, for sure. Um, just to add on to that, um, I know that that Ditko had a lot more say in Doctor Strange than he did with like Spider-Man and other characters. So that's why, you know, a lot of that comes out of him. And that artwork is so trippy and like wonderfully colored and just like craziness all over the place. Right. So what also works so well with him is the way that 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 Lee writes him with like these bombastic, you know, by the hoary host of Hogarth and like all these like strange <laughs> phrases that are so like sixties and like out there. Right. They work so well together, even though the actual stories may not be so amazing. But some of, of Ditko's artwork um, was actually like picked up by a lot of not psychedelic artists, but um, what do you call it? Prog artist in like the 70s and 80s. Oh, nice. So they even featured some of his artwork on like covers for, for albums as well. So he's got like a lot of fans in, in the rock industry as well, which is pretty cool. Awesome. That was really cool. You know, I was really surprised because I didn't know. I'm sure, you know, Doctor Strange, his stories, this was a Doctor Strange podcast. Shame on me, but it's not, so I can get away with it. Um, I didn't realize how much. You know, because I haven't gotten, I don't know when he comes in. I haven't looked ahead. But I don't know when Dormammu becomes, like, a big villain. Uh-huh. But it was shocking to me, knowing that he is, like, how many of Doctor Strange's earliest spells invoke the name of Dormammu. Oh, right, right. Yeah, because he's always like, I'm going to use the dread power of Dormammu, like, you know, casually. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, later he's going to be like your arch enemy. <laughs> you know, like, that's crazy. Um but yeah, no, it's, it's been really fun to read. So yeah. sorry to do one more tangent, but yeah, there's um, another podcast that does a lot of like history um, on the characters. Oh boy. It's, um, oh damn it. It's called, it's called, it's called Comic Geek Speak. So what yes. they do sometimes is they'll do like a history of Jack Kirby or like a read-through of all the like Ooh, Doctor Strange from like okay. parents, like go through different decades. And so they have a, like a, an episode on Doctor Strange, which is really interesting to listen and go through in the history of like, he didn't start off with his own book. He was in like Tales to Astonish or uh, Strange Jer- Tales, Jer- yeah. right? And how it branched off and and sort of his history it's, it's really interesting to go through so if you have time i mean they do like they have like thor and superman and you know x-men and all these characters so it's it's pretty interesting to go through and listen to how all these things came about awesome yeah i'll have to give that a try on the georgie recommendation i mean they're long they're like three hours long so you need to <laughs> <laughs> well, that just means it'll be multiple commutes no big deal <laughs> All right. So, awesome. Awesome. So, well, that good, is good ending to the episode, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. We we ended ended strong. That's what you want to do. Hopefully, you made it right. this far. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, gold is still rough. Blue hit hit or miss. Astonishing. Some nice, a few nice pieces. 
where I don't know. How do you feel? I mean, what happened to uh, Weapon X now? Is that is that coming out next week? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think it's next week. So th- I think they got they got out of rotation. Um, because some of the books stayed like true biweekly through the fifth week of August, and some of them took right. the week off. So, so I think we'll. And I don't know. Maybe Weapon X may not stay every two weeks. I'm not now that we're out of that crossover. Uh, I, don't, maybe. I don't know. We will see. I'd be okay. I'm, I'm okay with the books shipping a little less frequently. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah, it's hard to, hard to keep up with and hard to pay for all the time. Right, right. <laughs> so, but anyway, well, Dan, we missed you. We'll get you next time. Hope you feel better soon. We're going to get you, Dan. We're going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, of course, you can find him on the Intercomics podcast um, and on Twitter, um, he's at Gizmo. Is it fifteen eleven eighty three? You nailed it. Yeah, it's a it's a British calendar. It's where where the month and the day goes first. Um, Weirdos, <laughs> right? Um, and so, Georgie, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at La Boy Toy on Twitter. Um, and that's where I is. That's where he is. You'd be there. You'd be there uh-huh. mostly. I don't know. I, I try to. I try to do something funny there. It didn't work. Um, can't can't bat a thousand. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah. Well, you know, one out of one out of three out of ten is is like Hall of Fame records. So very true, very true. All right. Well, as usual for the podcast that goes snick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. And if you're into show notes and that kind of thing, it's uh, snickcast.podbean.com. And um, I, mean, I really have no idea what will be next. Um, my schedule is all over the place. I've been trying to do the movie and trying to do some flashbacks and all that. I'll get back on track at some point. Um, but anyway, I'm just glad we were able to do this and get one out. So um, until next time, hugs and snicks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thanks, Georgie. No problem. All right. So I'm looking forward to your, your Wolverine episode, if it ever comes. It will. Uh, it will. I just don't know for sure when. <laughs> right. It's been, we've had a lot of, we've been on the uh, disease carousel over here. Oof. So, Jeez. Yeah. Passing it, passing it back and forth like a bunch of fools. Um, but, but anyway, we'll, we'll get it out at, at some point and hopefully it'll be good. So. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, snack snacked. <laughs> <laughs>